Today we're continuing on in the book of Ecclesiastes. If you've got your little books here, get them out. I want to do something. You know, I want to do a test today because I'll find out whether you've been reading and getting ready for the sermon every week. So are you ready? You got a pen? Are you ready to take the test? Come on. Are you ready? Y'all don't sound very excited. Come on. Are you ready? Yeah, give me a test. All right. True or false? True or false? Number one. I like laughter better than crying. True or false? No, don't yell it out. <laughs> Just put it down on something. All right, number two. I like weddings better than funerals. Number three. I like thinking of my birthday better than my dying day. Number four. I like compliments better than criticism. Number five, I like shortcuts better than the slow way around. All right, how many had so many true? How many had one true? All right, how many had two true? Three true? Four true? Five? How many had one false? Some of you didn't do nothing, did you? <laughs> how many had all false? Okay, well, I'm just going to tell you, <laughs> if you had some faults, you need to listen to this sermon today, because <laughs> I'm tricking you. Uh, I want to go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless this time together. God, we thank you to this, this day, Lord. We ask you to bless our time in the book of Ecclesiastes today. May it be special. May we learn something. May we take away something that will change our life and make a difference. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we went through six chapters in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes. And, you know, six in the Bible is like the totality of man. You know, man, even the beast will be 666. And so you've got that uh, number six. Well, there's a transitioning taking place in the sixth chapter of, uh, or in the seventh chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, some of you have said, well, you know, in your life you found a great doctor. And, you know, how can you tell if you found a great doctor to go through to? You know, you go, well, I went to this doctor, and every time I've ever went, he can diagnose what's wrong with me. I just tell him, you know, what aches and pains I have, and he'll run a few tests, and he'll tell me exactly what's wrong with me. Well, you'd say, well, that's a great doctor, right? Well, I don't know. If that's all he can do is diagnose, you know, give you diagnostic report of what's wrong, I mean, you go, well, now, well, how do we fix it? He goes, I don't know that. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not into that. I, I can just tell you what's wrong with you. Well, the first six chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes is like a doctor that all he can do is tell you what's wrong. And Solomon is really good at telling you what's wrong with this world in the first six chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes. He'll tell you every low-down, sorry thing that's ever happened to him in those first six chapters. But in the seventh chapter, there's a transitioning going on. He is fixing to tell us what he believes is the answer to this terrible world that we live in. How many wants to hear the answer? I do. I really want to hear the answer. I, I want to know more than the problem. Seems like every day you get on your Facebook and different uh, media, and all they can do you tell tell what's wrong. Can anybody tell us what's right? 
Can anybody tell us what's the right way? How do, how do we make it out of here? How do we get to the next chapter of our life? Today I, I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about this subject of God's wisdom for difficult times. God's wisdom for difficult times. Solomon in chapter 7, he's going to show us about eight examples of what it looks like to navigate in a world during painful times and, and our life uh, wisdom, how God's wisdom can help us during difficult times and in life. And what we're going to see as we go through this chapter is that wisdom, wisdom, God's wisdom enables us to approach suffering in a radically different way than the world approaches suffering. And we're going to see that right off the bat that the first point that Solomon tells us about, he tells us that being wise means realizing that death can teach us a lot about life. Chapter 7, 1 through 4, I think they'll be putting it up here on the Sky Bible. And it says, a good name is better than precious ointment. And the day of death than the day of a birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and living will lay it, lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of the face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of myrrh. Solomon is literally telling us that sorrow is better than laughter. Solomon's point is that we usually learn more from hard times than we learn from good times. Solomon says that by a sad countenance, meaning your facial expression is sad, the heart is made better. The, the point that he says here, God often uses difficult times in our life to help us become a better person on the inside. It helps draw us closer to God. I, I'm, glad, I'm, I'm guessing that there's a lot of people in here, and I know a lot of you from pastoring for a long time here. I know that some of you during your most difficult times, that was the times you were the closest to God. I've walked in, in with this congregation, and I know some of you, you've lost spouses, you've lost parents, few of all children, and I know during that time it was a difficult time, but as you look back on it, you realize that was a time that God was doing something new and different and molding your life in a new way. See, what he's saying here that, you know, if you go to a party, you're probably not thinking about uh, life and the, uh, you know, thinking about life and how it all ends and how it all uh, is manifested and comes to be in our own life. But he says if you go to a funeral, you, you, you normally start thinking about life. And, you know, the one great blessing of being a pastor, I think Jeff and Sam and Teresa will tell you this, one of the great blessings of being a pastor is you get to do a lot of funerals. And you go, well, how can that be a blessing? Because it gives us a lot of time to think about life. It makes us think what's the most important things about life uh, and where will I go when I die and, and will anybody be at my funeral and what will people say on my dying day? 
and it makes you think, it makes you ponder about these things. And uh, so it, it reminds us that we will one day face an end. At least if Jesus doesn't come back, we're all going to face our end. We're going to come to the end of life. And it keeps, uh, you know, a lot of us, we'll keep the thoughts of death far away. You know, some people say, well, I don't want my kids going to funerals. I want my kids going to funerals. I want my grandchildren going to funerals. I want to go because I want them to realize that this is not all there is. And one day they too will be there too. They will die one day too. And I want them to know that, and they need to realize how they're living their life and what it's all about. But he says here that wise people face the reality head on because it only, it's only until that we actually face the reality that this life will end one day that we can truly get busy living this life to the fullest. David Gibson calls that perspective living life backwards. In other words, viewing life from the end to the beginning instead of from the beginning to the end. The second thing he tells us is being wise means that even though correction is painful at the time, it is actually a good thing in the long run. It's a good thing in the long run. He says, verse 5, it is better for a man to hear the rebuke of, a wise, uh, of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This is vanity. It's all vanity, he says. What Solomon is saying here is better to hear the rebuke of the wise man than the songs of fools. Uh, foolish, foolish people, what he's saying, foolish people don't receive correction very well. But wise people pay attention to all correction. You know, you can even learn something from your enemies. Because usually if your enemy has something against you, usually there is, may not be all truth, but there's probably some truth. Usually if somebody says something and it makes you mad, there's a little bit of truth there or it wouldn't make you mad at all, right? You know, you, somebody tells me something and I go, that's crazy. I don't accept that. But if it kind of stings, there's a little bit of truth there, and it bothers you. So even your enemy can sometimes bless you if you're wise enough to listen and you're wise enough to see this, and, and that's what Solomon's saying. And so here's the thing. If it's wise to be open to correction, then how wise are you? How open are you to correction? How many are you open to your spouse giving you some correction? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> That's hard, right? <laughs> Usually the reason it stings is because it's probably true. Uh, what, about, what about getting correction from your kids? How many like to be corrected by your kids? You like parents, who do you think you're talking to? Well, maybe the reason that stung as a parent is because there's a little truth in what your kid said. I'm just saying. And so that's what he's saying here. What about accepting reproof or correction from your boss? Like, wait until I get to the water cooler and I tell the other people how upset I am with the boss man because he shouldn't have said that to me. I'll tell you what. I can get a better job down the road somewhere. You know, but here's the thing. But what, how 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 welcome we are if if you're the boss man in your place of business, your work. 
how easy is it for the boss man to receive correction from his employees? That's horrible. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something. You know, I always, I always try to be open. Sometimes I don't want to be open, but sometimes I say, now, if I've got a blind spot in there, I want you to tell me about it. And sometimes they do. And I go, well, y'all can't possibly be right. <laughs> and you didn't have to say it that way. You should have said it real nice. But, I mean, if we're not open to correction, we're going to go down the wrong road. And so he's telling us that we should be open to correction. He said, surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and the bribe corrupts the heart. Solomon says, surely oppression destroys a wise man's reasoning, and a bribe debases the heart. What he, where we're hanging around, he said, when you're hanging around foolish people, when you hang around foolish people, how many's got a good old foolish friend? <laughs> I mean, we all do. <laughs> Don't look at them. <laughs> but I'm telling you, you, you go, you know, a friend's a friend that will, you know, they'll have your back to the end. That may not be your best friend. Your best friend may be a friend going, hey, settle down. Or, you know, if you got a friend that no matter what you do, they'll go, man. I'm telling you, you were in the right. One thing you learn in counseling is when people come in and they're ditching their husband or their child or their whoever it is, don't join in because by the time you get through hearing all this garbage that they're telling you, they're going to be over it and you're still going to be hating that person they were talking about. It don't work good with your children or your, you know, who your children marries. That low down scrounge, I'm going to tell you what. And so you start telling your child how horrible the person they're married to is. And then if they have the foolishness to tell their, your son-in-law or your daughter-in-law, you're in trouble. It's not going to be good Thanksgiving or good Christmas. So Solomon, he says, and he said, you know, there's some people, it's easy to bribe you. A little bit of money can bribe you. And... Uh, you sometimes often tell your friends what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. We all need some good friends that will speak truth into us and say, man, I've usually got your back, but i got to tell you, I think you're in the wrong this time. That's when you know you got a good friend. A wise person is more focused on their inner growth than they are their outer comfort. They're more focused on their inner growth than their outer comfort. Number three, being wise means knowing that we need to be patient as God's plan unfolds in our life. Verse 8, he said, better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Verse 11, wisdom is good with an inheritance and an advantage to those who see the sun. For protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advance of knowledge is the wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. You know, in a way, we've often said this, you go through something in life and you get to the other end and somebody were to ask you about it, we use this term, hindsight is 2020. And that's kind of what he's talking about here. Hindsight is 2020. He said, at, 
you know, at the end, the end of a thing, the end of a thing is better than the beginning of a thing. And because in the beginning of a thing, we normally don't have patience, patient in spirit. And, you know, patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit, not to be hasten in your spirit or be angry in your spirit. And how many wants to admit, some of you, if you get around you very long, you'll start talking about the good old days. Man, back the good old days, when we used to do church a certain way, that was the good old days. And, you know, this was good old days. You know, I hear people talk about the good old days. I don't know what day they're talking about. I'm telling you. You know, they go back the good old days. I remember in the good old days, uh, you know, if anybody turned the channel on the TV, your remote control was us kids. Get up and turn that on that other channel. You only had three channels. Now we got like 500 channels. But some people think the good old days were better back then. You know, when you got your clothes washed, my grandmother, she had one of them things that go back and forth. You had to run it through there and be careful you don't get your arms stuck in there and you know, and then you go and hang it out on the line and, you know, the it was all, you know, environmentally safe. It was the wind and the warm that done it. But, you know, now you just throw it in the dryer and they got dryers now that will dry your clothes. They got things you can hang your clothes in and it actually will iron or it'll cause your stuff to be not wrinkled. There's a lot of things better right now than it was a long time ago. But a lot of us, if we're not careful, we want to live long ago, back in the good old days. And, and I think the reason is this, none of us like change a whole lot. And so when God starts moving us to another season of our life, in that new season, we're going, I like the last season better. You know, and we rush through, we're not patient. It's like when you get a new baby, like, oh, this little baby cries all night. I'll be glad when this baby sleeps all night. And this baby crawl, I, this baby just goes in a room and starts crying. I have to go pick him up and bring him back in here. I'll be glad when that baby starts crawling. I'll be glad when that baby starts walking. I'll be glad when that baby goes to school. Then pretty soon they're graduating. Oh, my kid's all grown up now. It, it, it goes by really, really fast. My son has a saying, he said, the days are long, but the years are short. I believe that's true. But there are certain seasons within our life, sometimes we even go beyond that and become angry at God in a certain season because we hadn't been able to see the end of that season. We don't know how it's going to turn out. And Solomon says the end of a thing is better than the beginning because the end sometimes, at the end, we're able to see what it was all about. You begin to see what God had planned in that season. But when you first start in that season, you don't see it. Solomon is encouraging us that we be patient and wait to see the good that God is going to bring out of the end of of what we're going through, how God is going to use it, use the situation to mold us and make us more like Jesus. Solomon tells us it's better to be patient and that we should not hasten and get all stirred up in our spirit and be angry. Uh, Solomon's point in the chapter is that we are so finite, we know so little that we don't even know enough to properly evaluate how good those good old times really were since we haven't seen the end of our present days yet. 
we're living right now. We're living right now. And we're only seeing what we can see right now. But if we had more information of where this right now was taking us, then we probably wouldn't be looking back to the good old days. Solomon's point is we need to be patient, not and rush in on judging God on what he's doing in our life. Before he even finishes doing what is so important, we need to learn to evaluate the different seasons of our life the way God evaluates the seasons of our life. You see, God cares much more about our character than he cares about our comfort. Uh, Tommy Nelson said that God doesn't always do what's pleasant or easy for us. He does what's best for us. You ever heard the story about the farmer? He buys this horse. He gets his horse, and it's a fantastic horse. People want him to sell it, and he goes, I will never sell this beautiful white horse. And then people's offered him big money, and he won't take it. And then they go, you should have took it. You should have took the money. Well, then... The horse runs away. The neighbors come over and go, you should have took that money. We told you you should have took that money. Now the horse has run away. And he goes, don't judge right now. We don't know if it was a good thing that the horse run away or not. Oh, you foolish old man. You had a horse. You had money in hand. There's people pay you a lot of money for that horse. And now the horse has run away. You tell me there's something good in that. He said, you're too quick you're not patient enough and so a few days later the horse comes back and like eight other horses come back with him wild horses and they go you're right you're right you're right that horse he brought back now you got eight more horses that's amazing you were right he said no don't judge too quickly we don't know whether it was a good thing or a bad thing that this horse brought back eight other horses well then finally his son got out there and he thought he would start breaking these horses and getting where they'd be more useful around the farm and he got on one of the horses and when he did one of them bucked him off and he broke his legs both legs and they go oh man you were right this was not a good thing now your son that helps you around the farm has got two broke legs that's a horrible thing he goes you need to slow down you need to be a little bit more patient how do you know that my son's two broken legs is not a good thing. Oh, you old foolish man, you know that cannot be a good thing. And so about a week or two after that, their neighboring area there breaks out into a war. And they come through and they're looking for all the young men in the village that could go to war. And they come across this man's son. He couldn't even walk. Both legs were in cast. And so they passed him on, but all the other people, their young men and women went into the war. And so they come back and they go, oh man, you were right, you were right. Your son having two broke legs, he didn't have to go. We may never get our kids back, but your son is right here with you. And he said, you need to wait until we hear the end of the matter. Wouldn't it be nice if we would wait and just thank God for whatever season we're in, whatever valley we're in. We, we just wait on God. The Bible says wisdom is good with an inheritance. If you are patient and you'll wait on God in your season, he said there's an advantage to those who see the sun. I think he's saying there's an advantage to those who look on the bright side even on days it doesn't seem very bright. Look on the bright side. 
Look for the bright side. Look for that uh, wisdom in dark days and troubled times. He said, for the protection of wisdom is like protection of money. He said, actually, wisdom properly used is a better protection for you than money is. A lot of people lean on money. And they have an advantage. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Solomon admits that money can protect us from a few things but in life. But he says that wisdom can protect us against a whole lot more. So we don't want to rush in. We want to wait on God. God can bring us through everything. The next thing is for being wise means knowing that we can benefit from the good times in our life, but we can also, uh, we can ben- also benefit uh, from the good times or the bad times in life. And he tells us here that uh, consider the work of God, verse 13. Who can make straight what is made crooked? Verse 14, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as he's made the other. So the man may not find out anything that will be after him. He's saying here, when you have a good day to celebrate, celebrate, dance, rejoice, celebrate, enjoy your good times. But also when you go through a bad time, when you go through a troubled time, when you go through a time of sorrow, also trust in God. Consider that the God that made the good day is the God that made the day you're going through right now. That's why we should wake up and say, you know, you know, bless the Lord all my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. This is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day. Whatever this day holds, this is the day that God made. And I will either rejoice in it or I will learn from it. We've got a choice every day. You know, Solomon says the day of prosperity, be joyful. Be joyful. He's saying that we should enjoy the good times in life. We should learn from the bad times in life. Isn't that a great recipe for life? That we, we learn from life. We enjoy life. It gives us hope. Elizabeth George wrote this, said, Wisdom is the God-given ability to see life with rare objectivity and to handle life with rare stability. Rare stability. Wisdom allows us believers to win no matter what's happening in our life. We win when things are good. We win on the mountaintop. But I tell you what, if you have wisdom, you win even more in the valley. You win even more in the valley because you learn stuff in the valley. Sometimes on the mountaintop, you don't trust God as much. In the valley, you have to trust God. Believers know the truth that God can bring good out of any situation. You know, the atheist, the atheist does not take, you know, the advantage of this because atheistic perspective is that, you know, it's just it's everything's by happenstance. I don't believe everything's by happenstance. I believe God creates every day and God allows us to go through everything we're going through. And so I want to learn. And it's hard to do that. It's hard to say, well, God, you've got this day. God, I want this to be your day. I want to learn from this day. I want to learn from the good times. I want to learn from the bad times. The fifth thing here, being wise means realizing that none of us are as good as we think we are. (laughs) He says, in my my vain life, I've seen everything, he says. 
There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. So Solomon is asking this question, why does, the, why does people living for the devil live a long time? And you take a, a good man of God, this, uh, you know, this man that everybody loved, and he dies young. Why does he die young and some crook lives a long time? That's the question we all laugh. Why do good people often die? Why do young and wicked people live a long life? Solomon gives us two answers for this. And first, he kind of points out that our questions are faulty to start with. We're asking the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And it's a faulty question on multiple levels. The first is, he answers that Solomon gives us, is why bad things happen to good people. is because sometimes suffering is the best thing for us, and sometimes prosperity is the worst thing for us because the difficult times in life are often the times when we draw closest to God. So the reason that's a faulty question is we are constantly calling the times of suffering or the difficult times, we're calling those the bad times, and God sees that as the good time because he's going to use that to draw you closer to himself. And the times that we call the good times, a lot of times God would say, no, that's not as, as vantageous for you as if you would understand that all times that I give you, every day I give you, all the seasons of your life is to make you more like me. So we need to learn that. Solomon's second uh, answer to the question of why do bad things happen to good people is that no one is truly good. Verse 16, be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is, a good, it is good that you should take hold of this and from that withhold not your hand. For one who fears God shall come out of both of them. Solomon says that, that, you know, some people, when he's talking about being overly righteous, he's talking about people that think are overly, uh, uh, they, they're doing this in their own eyes. They, they perceive that they're wise in their own way. And he's saying, you're not really wise. Uh, I'll give you an example. He, he said the key to enjoying life is making sure that we are following God's commandment within life. Uh, he's not talking about, well, you know, don't, don't be all, that, uh, you know, he said, no, he's not saying be a little bit weak, wicked or be a little bit righteous. He said don't be righteous in your own eyes. And don't be, uh, you know, your wickedness. The reason we know that's not what he's saying is Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from, your evil, from evil. So be wise. He said, be not wise in your own eyes. That's what he's talking about first in this first section there. Be not wise in your own eyes. But fear the Lord and turn from evil. Solomon wrote uh, to us, wise don't be wise in your own eyes. Uh, he says, uh, verses 7, verse 20, said, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. So he says another thing about this, there is not a just man on the earth. There's not a just man on this earth that does good and does not ever sin. That includes all of us. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But he said, like the uh, prodigal son, he tells us, in that story, we often share the story about the prodigal son, the one self-indulgent son that goes out here and he lives riotous living and he wastes his entire life. 
And, you know, they go, that was horrible. That was so horrible. But we don't talk much about the self-righteous son that stays at home with his dad. But during that same season of life, the self-righteous son that stayed home and look how good I am. I didn't do like my brother. I didn't go spend your money. I didn't go run around with riotous, uh, wicked women. Look how great I am. Well, he was just diving head in with self-righteousness. And the other son, but you know, he, he, he wasn't changing during this time. The other son that had went down a hard road, he had went and he had lost all his money and, you know, spent it on women and, and, and fun and, you know, drinking and carrying on, riotous living, whatever that was in the biblical times. But that caused him to turn around. He goes, you know, I had it better back at my dad's house. So what he went through turned him around and caused him to want to go back to his father's house. You had one son that was in a far land wanting to be back home with his dad, and you had another son next to his dad that didn't want to be with his dad. He wanted to be where his brother was, but he was too self-righteous to actually admit it. So we're, we're seeing this play out very clearly here. And so he said, don't be overly righteous in your own eyes like the older brother. Don't be self-indulgent and just going out. And a lot of people, actually, when they are running from God and they're running from the place that God has them, it's very easy for them during that period in their time to get involved in in sexual things and self-gratification. God's wisdom in the Bible can help us protect us from all kinds of errors uh, of making, you know, bad errors. But these three types of people, there's self-righteous, the self-indulgence. Then he said there's some wise people. Those are the people who fear the Lord. Those are the people that fear the Lord, and they will take the valleys and thank God for the valleys, and they will also thank God for the mountains. In verse 19, wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers of, of a city. And surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does not, never sins. So he's telling us there, there's no fully righteous man that's never sinned if the team wants to get ready. Verse 21, do not take heart all to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others, have cursed others. I like what Charles Spurgeon says about this. He said, don't get all hurt and offended when somebody says something about you. Charles Spurgeon says, if any man thinks ill of you, do not get angry for you are worse than he thinks you be. (laughs) You know, that's a great place to live. Somebody goes, did you hear what somebody said about you? I go, that's good. There's a lot more they could have said about me. I feel honored today. He don't know the other half of the story. Being wise means realize that none of us are as wise as we think we are either. All this I've tested by wisdom, he says, Solomon. He said, I've, I've tried to be wise, but it was far from me. Verse 24, that which has been is far off, the deep and very deep. Who can find it? Talking about wisdom. And Solomon comes to the conclusion, only God knows everything. God knows everything. Then we need to slow down and humble before we judge God's plan. For he's doing in our life 
what he's doing in our life. We don't understand it. We shouldn't be asking the why question very often. Why, God, why? We should be asking the what question. What do you want me to learn from this difficult thing I'm going through, Lord? What do you want me to learn in this time? The seventh thing, being wise means realizing that none of us are beyond temptation. There's something out there if you're not careful. And a heart that is full of of people that are not uh, in love with God, you don't have gratitude in your heart. Those are the easiest people to turn to wickedness and to temptation. I turn my heart to know and to search out the seek wisdom and the schemes of things, he said, to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness of madness, and I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets whose hands are fetters, he who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Solomon, he's dying. He's going to die at about 54 years of age. I don't know if he had a disease or something. He didn't live to be 70 like David. And he kind of reminds me of when the guy that uh, was over the Apple, Steve Jobs, you see him and he's all weak and he's in his black little thing. And he's, I saw that picture and I felt so sorry for him. Here's a guy that's a billionaire probably. And he's still going to go the way of death. Solomon, here's a guy that had everything. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines. He had more wealth than anybody that ever lived. And he said, I tried. I tried to explore to find out if there's something else out there that would make me happy. And all it was was folly and foolishness and madness. And when you're in the shape that I was in, it's very easy to fall near to a woman's snares and nets I applied my heart to know and search and seek out wisdom but I never found it he's like the song I never found what I was looking for we spend much of our time worrying about things we can't control while we forget about focusing on the things that we can control we should at least try by God's grace and by God's help to control ourselves he said verse 27 behold this is what I found says the preacher while adding one thing to another to find the schemes of things which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found it. One man among a thousand found, may have found one, but one woman among these I have not found. That right there was not wise to say he's never seen a wise woman. And he said he may only seen one wise man. He was desperate at this point in his life for whatever reason. See, he said, verse 29, See this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. He made Adam and Eve and put them in a garden, and he made them right. And yet they fell for the schemes of the devil. The devil made them believe that God was withholding from them, that God was, you know, you know God doesn't want you to have that because if you had that, isn't that the way the world, they tell you if you're serving God, you're missing out. That's a lie. If you're serving the world, Solomon says you're missing out. And I want to finish up with this one. Being wise means knowing it is the only way to become truly happy. He says, who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine. And the harness 
hardness of his face is changed. Who is like the wise man? Who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the sternness of his face change. He's saying that wisdom will turn your frown upside down. In our culture where people think that God's way means you'll be miserable, you'll be bored, you'll be living. You know, when you're living for the devil, it's fun and it's exciting. The Bible helps us to see that's an error. The way they're thinking, because the real way to happiness is learning to see and do things God's way. It'll make your face shine. I don't know if you know it, but we're having quite a revival going on among our youth. I've been seeing the the pictures of the youth that are being baptized. I think they've had eight. There's a young man this last Wednesday night, and I don't know if you just see his face. How many remembers the day that you got saved? Did you have that face on? You got up from that prayer time, and it was the best feeling in the entire world. Nothing like it. Only faith in God can save us. Jesus, he comes along in our life. Wouldn't you rather be happy in life? Wouldn't you rather be able to weather the storms of life by God's wisdom and not to survive tough times, but to actually grow during tough times? Well, you can, but in order to have this kind of life, you need to have God's wisdom. And the first step in getting God's wisdom is make sure that you have God's wisdom itself as Jesus Christ. Solomon said, we've all sinned. None of us are good enough. To, none of us are good enough. No matter how much we try, no matter how many good deeds we try to perform, no matter how many rules we try to keep, no matter how many religious rituals or we, rituals we try to perform, none of us could ever be good enough to get ourselves to heaven or earn our salvation. Because of what our sin has earned us and separated us from God and eternal judgment, but the Bible says that God is so good that he's made a way for us to be saved, a way of actually, a way that actually works, a way that is not about how good we are. It's about how good Jesus is. You see, God sent his only son, Jesus, into the world. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life that none of us have lived. None of us have lived. And he lived that perfect life on our behalf. And the moment we believe in Jesus, a miracle, a face-changing, heart-changing miracle happens. And suddenly Jesus is perfectly perfect in us. And see, in the end, the end of the story, Jesus' life, he died on a cross for our sins. That means that Jesus took our punishment. We were supposed to get on that third day. Jesus came back from the dead, defeating sin, death, forever, forever. So because of what Jesus has done and how good Jesus is, all of us have an opportunity. Anyone who will recognize that they've sinned and they turn away from their old life, who will put on their, have the faith of Jesus Christ can be saved. We can be saved. We can be saved. Jesus having faith in Jesus. We're no longer depending on our own good deeds or our track record or our good intentions or our good heart. 
though that's if you're depending on any of those things you're not trusting in Jesus the thing is is when you know you're not good enough you're not sinless enough you're not right enough you're not good enough to ever go to heaven that you stand and you go but I'm going to heaven anyway because of the blood of Jesus Christ I'm going to, I'm depending on Jesus Christ I'm nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross I cling I'm going to heaven because of Jesus. That's all that matters. Team, come on out. There's a, there's a song that says, uh, and I was thinking about this this week, thinking about the day I got saved. There's nothing like the day that you got saved. And I think about Solomon after six chapters of writing how horrible the world was. Later on in Psalms, you know, Solomon wrote, uh, Ecclesiastes wrote some sections of Proverbs and different areas, but I love this verse right here. He may only had a few days left when he's writing. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I think about these kids getting saved and getting baptized. Some of them don't have the best home situation. They come up out of that water and they realize it's a new day for me. I think about when Stephen was being stoned. Say that was a bad day for Stephen. That's what we saw on this side under the sun. But what Stephen was seeing, he was seeing Jesus stand up in heaven and welcoming Stephen, the martyr, home. It was the best day ever. He would forever be with the Lord. And I'm telling you, we got to change our perspective in life. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world, and some of this stuff going on in the world, God means for it to go on the world because it's going to turn this world to a, to a large part back to God. He's got to shake us loose from our own self saving ways and realize there is nothing that's going to save us but Jesus Christ let's stand up and sing this last song I'd like for our prayer team members to come and we're going to have prayer we're going to do one song if you're going to come to the altar you better come running <laughs> God bless you